Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello everybody. How are we all? It is episode 99. Can you believe it? It's almost the big 100. And we have got a belter of a show tomorrow. We have got... No, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to let it happen. Because, hey, we've got a belter of a show as well. And if you're having sleepless nights waiting for the 100, this guy had a sleepless night last night because his wife wasn't well, which we will touch on that in the show. But let's give you a big build-up to him. He's a man who is taking huge action as he is one of the co-founders of the podcast movement 2014. Now, this is a huge conference bringing together the movers and shakers of the podcasting world, the legends behind the mics, the names you see scattered across iTunes, and and I'm not going to be there. In fact, I wasn't even asked to be there, but we'll touch on that later. Commencing on the 16th of August in Dallas, Texas, the size of this thing must have been a hell of an undertaking, especially for someone who it seems to me has built up the bulk of his career in the work of tax returns and balance sheets. But as he says, I'm a lifetime serial entrepreneur and have always been a self-starter that takes the proverbial bull by the horns. And this passion for the startup has helped him develop great relationships with clients, which allow them to focus in on the value side of the business and leave let's face it, the boring side of the business with our guest. That is a partnership made in heaven, I would have thought. So how did he get together with Jared Easley, his co-partner of the podcast movement? And does he actually find doing tax returns interesting? And even if he says he does, I don't think I will believe him. Well, let's find out as we bring onto the show to start joining up the dots of his life, the one and only Mr. Dan Franks. How are you today, Dan? <laughs> David, I have no, I have no idea how to follow up any of that so i'll just say thank you for having me on that was awesome and uh almost made it to 100 david almost but i look forward to seeing what's coming tomorrow so you were touching you were touching the hundred and if if anyone who has been with the show i'll give you a little clue anyone who's been with the show and has heard me talking about my inspirations we've got somebody who is the inspiration tomorrow and you will see so at uh, one minute past 12 It'll be live and you will hear the conversation that I have been building up to. So it's a, it's, a, it's a biggie. But you're a biggie as well because you are a mover and shaker, aren't you? But potentially not as much as a mover and shaker as your wife was last night because she wasn't well. Yeah, that's that's true. She got a hold, I think, of a bad piece of sushi. So you and I talked before we came on the air about maybe raw fish not being the good thing. You may be not thinking that anything uncooked is edible. I'm a big sushi fan, but I think maybe we won't be going on any dates for sushi for a while after this. I don't get the fact that people will eat something that's not cooked. That, that's, that's just lunacy, isn't it? Well, I've heard people interviewed before who will eat raw chicken. Everything they eat is raw. They won't eat a thing cooked. And to me, that's lunacy. But fish, it seems like I've been okay with. I had food poisoning from Kentucky Fried Chicken once, and that's the only time ever. And I was so ill, and it's when my kids were very little, so I was trying to sort of support the family and make sure that they were all right. And in the end, I sort of went up the back of the garden and passed out under the swing, and they found me laying on the garden, sort of fast asleep at the back. And I know what your wife was going through, because it is truly, truly horrendous. But still, you probably wouldn't get it if you cooked the food. 
That's true. So, so tell me, is this the same garden that I'm talking to you from now, or is this a different garden? Uh, this is the same garden, and actually, if I look okay. outside my recording studio now at the window, I can actually see the the point of my demise. The there's actually kind of a, a chalk figure drawn on the lawn where I lay. Right, right. Are all passed out and sweaty and stuff. But no, it's it's terrible because you're actually in Dallas, Texas, aren't you? Dallas, Texas. That's right. So it's it's nice and warm, and uh, that you know. Oftentimes, I think that that sushi, maybe if it sits outside just a little too long or sits not in the right air-conditioned place here, you know, we are at 100-degree temperatures, um, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, so depending on where you're listening. But uh, it, it could very easily make something that would once have been good a little uh, sour, if you will. I've actually got a story, and I'm deliberating whether to tell this because people might be having breakfast. But, hey... If you don't like it, you can always email me. But I was I was violently ill in Dallas once, and I was actually violently ill in South Fork Ranch. You know the tourist attraction for, for the old Dallas program. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I got engaged. I was on on a road trip with my mates, and um, I was driving across America, and I'd already had kids by that stage, and so I hadn't been on a boys' trip for many many years. And my mate was just about to get engaged, and he said, "Come on, come on, let's do a last trip. Let's do a last trip." I said, oh, "I can't, I can't." I've got kids I've you know I've got potentially a wife she's not I'm not married to her but I can't and it built up built up built up so much that I started thinking I quite fancy this really I wouldn't mind getting away and then when the um the wife now my ex-girlfriend said go on just go it's only two weeks I thought brilliant I'm gonna go and for the first three or four days it was marvelous and then I started to really sort of miss it big time and I'd been with the um with my wife for like 13 years and I'd never proposed to her because it just wasn't important to me and I was in um where was I I was in Amarillo funnily enough and um I phoned her up early in the morning and I said to her oh I so miss you I shouldn't have come out of here you know oh oh you know why why have I done this and she said how much do you miss me and I went oh I miss you terribly and she said well marry me then and she actually asked me and I went okay I will and I kind of thought in my head okay you get married it takes five years to plan it all and this was November the 27th and on January the 27th two months later I was standing there getting married she just ran around like a lunatic trying to set it all up but um long story short that evening I went out and I drank heavily um in this bar in Amarillo got up the next morning and we had to go into Dallas and we got to Dallas and my mate said oh you you look so green you gotta go out and have hair with a dog and drink again and I thought to myself okay that sounds sensible so I will do this so anyhow I drank again and the next morning we had a um trip to South Fork Ranch and I woke up with like a two-day hangover which i've never experienced if anybody has a hangover i would advise you just to let it go and this hair of the dog business doesn't work it just means that you feel ill for two days running and um i was in south fork ranch walking past miss ellie's bathroom when suddenly my body wasn't my own anymore and i had to leap over this this kind of red rope that they they mask it off with and actually throw up in her toilet that is not good, is it? Wow, that is uh, that's quite the story, David. You're, you you tried to live the rock star lifestyle for two days in a row, and it just was not uh, was not agreeing with you. I'm not a rock star in any shape or form. No, I, I I try to stick with the alcohol that I can consume now, and that's one or two. As we have in England, shandies. I don't know if you have shandies over there, do you? No. What's what's a shandy? Shandy is brilliant. It's the greatest drink ever. It's about half beer and the rest lemonade. And we, we have that a lot over here. So you can drink a little more without um, without feeling the effects. It's the most refreshing drink you can possibly have on a hot day. You'll sit out there and you'll take a shandy and you go, ah, oh, why didn't I have this before? So, Dan, I want you to do that. Before we get onto the podcast, I want you to write it down in your notebook that you're going to have a shandy and you are going to preach to the world the beauty of the shandy. Writing it down now. What kind of beer goes into a shandy, David? Doesn't really matter. As cheap as possible because most of it's lemonade <laughs> anyway. All right. So you just throw Written it in. down. A, gl- a bit of Samuel Adams or whatever it is you have over there. Lemonade and you will be in heaven. I will report back to you, David. Good. That's what we want. So <laughs> let's get on with the show because you are 
a mover and shaker. When when your name came across to me to be on the show, I thought, yeah, Dan Franks, I've heard this name. Where have I heard this name? And once I started investigating the podcast movement, I haven't been invited to. How did you get involved in that? And has it been a bigger undertaking than it seems to me? Because it seems to me huge when I looked at the names of the people that are on there, the conference, the, the just the sort of the, the breadth of it. Has it been a real big task to undertake? It has been a big task. You know, it really started here in Dallas, which is where the conference will be. And one of the other co-founders, you mentioned Jared Easley, but one of the other co-founders is Gary Leland. And he's been in the podcasting industry since 2004. So he's always had his hand in it somehow. And he was organizing a little small annual conference here in Dallas of, you know, 30 local podcasters that would get together and just kind of do presentations to one another. And we... He and I knew each other through that, and then at New Media Expo this past year, we met up with Jared Easley, and we all kind of looked around and thought, wow, this this whole New Media Expo thing, this gathering of bloggers and podcasters and web TV producers and all these thousands of people, it's really cool, but it's just partly for podcasters. It's not all for podcasters. Why can't we do something that's like what Gary was doing locally that was just for podcasters, but at a much larger national or, or international scale? And put something like that together because there was nothing like that that existed. So we looked around and nobody else is doing it. So why why shouldn't we try it? So that's that's where the idea came from. And when we first started, we had very small ideas. It was you know can we get two hundred people and maybe a day's worth of speakers and and just put something almost bare bones together for the first year. And, and if it works out, then maybe we can grow from there. But we, we did a crowdfunding campaign through Kickstarter to really vet the idea of this conference. And we put our goal at whatever our cost would be to run this small little bare bones conference, $10,000. And we figured if we can get $10,000 through a Kickstarter campaign, we can afford to put together this small little conference. And within less than 24 hours, we had far surpassed that goal. We ended up tripling that $10,000 number that we initially set out for through Kickstarter. And since then, that has kind of grown out of control. It's this monster that, uh, you know, almost like Frankenstein, we, we expected one thing and it's another, but it's it's all the, all the growth has been for the better. So is the undertaking much larger than we thought it would be? Yes, but I think that's only a good problem to have, really. Did, did it really take you by surprise? Because it seems to me, when I, when I look at it, I think to myself, why wasn't this before? Why wasn't somebody else doing this? You know, why, why was New Media Expo kind of covering all areas and the podcasting, which really seems to me, and it might just be because I'm in it now, but it seems to be a growth industry that is really accelerating big time. Why do you think that people hadn't, hadn't done something like this before? Yeah, yeah, I have no idea because talking about the blogging, and that was another aspect of New Media Expo, but blogging has its own conferences all over the world. You have, you know, niche bloggers, you know, so you have the Financial Bloggers Conference that's run by a friend of mine that's in New Orleans this year, and you have the Travel Bloggers Conference. So there's all these other blogging conferences in addition to New Media Expo, but like you said, there wasn't really anything for podcasting. So that's why we almost were a little leery to do anything before we did that Kickstarter and really vetted the idea because it's like, why Why is this not in existence? And looking back and doing our research, we saw that in the past there was one, but it was bought up by New Media Expo. So before New Media Expo had a podcasting track, there was a standalone podcasting conference. They just acquired that and absorbed it into it. So there was kind of a little bit of time, I guess, between when that happened and when we really started getting this ramped up. So I think it did exist, just um, you know, for some reason no one else had stepped up to, to try to do it again. So for, for the listeners out there, that I know what you're talking about, but there's a couple of words that I think we need to explain, and that is Kickstarter and crowdfunding. So for people out there that's got this kind of idea going in their head, wouldn't it be good, but I think I haven't got the money, explain what these foundations can actually do. Yeah, so there's a lot of things out there that people have ideas for, and if you start reading books about how to create some new product or come up with something new. Some of these words that get thrown around are minimum viable product or proof of concept or all of these different things of ways to vet your ideas. And one of the things that is very popular nowadays is crowdfunding. And what that means is you have this idea. You don't have the money to create that idea. So you put it out there to the world on the internet usually. And more or less, you put together a sales page of what this idea is, whether it's you're creating a product, whether it's something like us, you're trying to put on an event, you're a musician trying to create an album. You put together the sales page, 
and it's all the compelling reasons that you think this will be a good idea and why people should contribute money to this idea. And typically through Kickstarter, which is just a way to put this crowdfunding sales page out there and have people contribute money to it, you will say, if you contribute $10, I will give you this prize. So if it's a musical album, you'll say for $10, I'll give you one of the first prints of the album. For $20, I'll give you an autographed version of the album. So all these different contribution levels to where if people go out there, they read the sales page, they think, yeah, this guy deserves whatever it is he's asking for. I will help contribute to fund this. And then I will get this reward on the back end once this crowdfunding campaign ends. That's really what it is. So you'll see if you go to kickstarter.com, you'll see all sorts of things out there. You'll see high-tech gadgets and low-tech gadgets and all different things. But that's really what we did. And we thought if we put this podcast movement, national podcasting conference idea out on this crowdfunding platform, it's asking people to put their money where their mouth is. Because oftentimes you'll come up with some new crazy idea and you'll throw it on Facebook or you'll mention it around the dinner table to some family and, hey, I had this great idea. Why don't I create this product? What would you guys think of that? And of course, you know, being good friends and good family that they are, they'll slap you on the back and say, that's an awesome idea, Joe. You go for that or whatever it might be. But this is a great way for those people to put their money where their mouth is. If you really believe in whatever this is I'm doing, then pay for it like you said like you said you would when I first threw the idea to you. So that's really the biggest idea of crowdfunding is really I keep saying this word but it's the easiest way to describe it put your money where your mouth is. If you want more information um this is to the listeners out there you can go to episode 68 with Clay Abair who is the crowdfunding guy out there at the moment and um you can get more information from him. But with with the your your pitch your crowdfunding pitch what were you actually aiming to give back to the people that were investing money in this? That was what we used to pre-sell tickets to the conference. Oh, right. Okay. Simple so it's enough. Just that. Yeah. So that, that doesn't then, seem a big ask, does it? It's basically saying, so you, you, you're coming to this anyway. Give us the money. That's all it was. It was, it was pre-selling tickets. And the one difference, other than just throwing a pre-sale ticket page up there like you would do for a normal conference, is with Kickstarter, if you don't reach the goal that you're trying to reach – then everyone gets their money back or or said another way no one ever ends up paying the money that they commit to so we could say this conference will cost us a minimum of $11,000 if you contribute this if all the contributions or in our in our case all the presale tickets if that gets up to this number in total then this conference will happen and your tickets will be charged to you if we don't get to this number the conference won't happen and you won't get charged and there's no refund process. There's no trying to fight these guys that you're not sure who they are for money. So it's almost a fail-safe way for the people making a contribution to our cause you know, through that Kickstarter campaign. And you know, there's a number of crowdfunding options out there and that episode that you mentioned probably talks about some of them. But to us, we went with Kickstarter because it had the most credibility. It was the biggest player in the space. So we wanted to knock down any barriers that people might have any uh, hesitation they might have from contributing and doing this pre-sale with us. So that's how that was our whole methodology behind it. Okay, I, I don't want to focus in on podcast movement all the time because it is the interesting part of the show, but it's probably only interesting to me because it, I'm a podcaster. But how did you then go and get the, the, the names that you've got? And I was looking down the list and I thought, yep, know him, know him, know her, know him. And these are the sort of the, the weighty boys, aren't they? And the weighty ladies who are actually building the content. You, you didn't actually have a conference. You had these pre-sold tickets, but then you had to get these guys on board. Did you do it beforehand to then say to the, the crowdfunding people, these are the guys that you're going to be seeing, keynote speakers and who's going to be on the panel, or did you do it afterwards? A combination, really. And that was, that was one of the hardest parts of the process was we went to some of these biggest names with just an idea. We didn't even have a crowdfunding campaign yet. We went to all the we, we almost assembled our our dream team of podcasters that we wanted to be the faces of this conference because those of us organizing it, we're we're nobodies in the podcasting world compared to a lot of these names we have. So we really knew that we would have to have this quote unquote star power. So we had to make these connections with these people and just almost go down our list from top to bottom if we needed if we wanted four faces of the conference, how would we you know, who would we talk to and to try to get to be those four faces? And we would just go down the list and reach out to these people and explain to them the idea and explain to them the passion of what we were doing. And it was difficult. We had a probably about a 50% success rate when asking people based on our idea alone. 
But it was very, very soon to change once that crowdfunding campaign got up there. Once word started spreading on social media and started spreading throughout the podcasting community, we had a number of people that had said no on the front end come back to us and ask to come to be a part of it on the back end. So, you know, that was that was good validation for what we were doing. I think the biggest takeaway we had from that whole process was every single person that we asked and that ultimately committed to being a part of the conference, one of us as founders had a personal in-person relationship with. So you mentioned that these are some of the biggest names in podcasting, which they are. But these are pe- this wasn't just cold emails to these people asking them to be a part of it that ultimately got their faces as the faces of this conference. We had spent a lot of time developing relationships with these people far, far before we ever even had the idea for the conference itself. But we knew these people, so we almost knew that a lot of them, when we went and asked them for help, they would commit to us because they knew who we were at that time. So I think that was our biggest thing was that we weren't cold emailing anybody. We knew all of these people personally. But there's not a lot of English guys with kind of graying hair in their 40s, though, Dan, is there? No, no, there's not. It sounds, seems like a void in the, in the conference. I think it's a void. I think it's a void that needs to be filled for 2015. Hey, we we can we talked about numbers a little bit on the front end. You're you're definitely making big waves. And and tell me, so we're at 99 right now. What was your kickoff date, David? 30th of April. 30th of April, I launched three shows. Um, one that was a kind of 15 minute chat with myself, and then two straight on, on the bat, and then seven days a week since then. Yeah, so you'll you'll be well over a year by the time 2015 comes around. So definitely want to talk about that with you. And I'll be well over 50 as well, <laughs> the, way, the way it's taking its toll on me. It's one of those things, isn't it? I, I talk to a lot of people about entrepreneurial, and this is what you're doing. And it is time-consuming, isn't it? It is totally time-consuming. It sucks your energy like you've never known before. You lay in bed thinking things when you think, oh, I should be asleep. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't need to be thinking about these things. But it's the best thing ever, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting that you you bring that up because before I really started doing this project, this podcast movement project that's taking up so much of my time, you know, I used to read the books and listen to the podcasts and and all of these things about starting your own business and, and making the businesses that you start great and how to do all these things. And now I've noticed a huge shift in all my uh, everything I consume outside of work is about productivity and how to manage your time and and all of these things. So it was very interesting to feel this almost natural shift from how to get something started. And then once I got it started, everything just kind of started turning towards how can I optimize my time best and how can I be the most productive when I'm actually working so that I'm not laying in bed uh, at night trying to think about everything I need to do. And and David, I'll tell you, the key to not uh, laying in bed at night wide awake is to not get very much sleep any of the nights and then the second you hit the pillow you knock out so that then you don't even have to worry about laying in bed awake i i no i've gone past that i'm now doing <laughs> crazy time zones um basically i'm going away for a while so i'm doing a seven day a week show that's going to be running on automatic pilot and although i'll be coming out live you'll be hearing me in your ears i won't be here it's all going to be pre-recorded for a period of time and so i am bashing them out big time and I'm doing sort of absolutely ridiculous hours and even though I then go in and sort of jump into bed I just can't switch off it's like I'm doing interviews 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 into my head all the time and it seems to be the more tired that I'm getting the less sleep I need except for the times that I don't need it so two o'clock in the afternoon bang I could go off for three or four hours but then like three o'clock in the morning I'm wide awake I don't know what's happened to me at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm suffering podcast demise that's what's doing me in Mr. Franks well I hope you I hope it doesn't take permanent uh, a permanent toll on you hopefully whenever you go away you can hit that reset button and come back fully uh fully back on the right schedule i will be back i will be brown i will be tanned and i will be ready to go so So are you gonna are you gonna hold on i I gotta know where where this brown is coming from where are you headed i'm heading to the european climates of spain 
Wonderful. That's where that's where the us British go really because it's two and a half hours in a plane. It's it's, a, it's kind of big thing for you Americans, isn't it, to go to Europe? But we just kind of jump on the plane and fifty pounds later we're there. So we're we're lucky really. <laughs> it's it's yeah. one it's one of the drawbacks. You know, I love America. If if there is one place to go, I'm going to go to America. I love it. And since you know for the last 20, 30 years, and I say this all the time because I'm kind of proud about it. I've done every single state bar two, and I've just got to tick off these last two, and then I've done the lot. Um, some of them quite in depth. Some of them I've, I've stepped into and stepped out, but I can sort of tick those off. But for you going to places, it's quite an expense, isn't it? If you're coming over to Europe, you know, it's quite an undertaking. So where where do you go for your holidays? All over. We, we, we try not to hit the same place twice. I'll tell you the thing we're on right now is the cruises. And I don't know how often you guys cruise over there in Europe, but I know there are a lot of cruises going on. But, uh, you know, we like the idea of the cruise because you sleep in the same bed every night, but you wake up in a different destination every day. So we'll fall asleep after we just left Jamaica and we'll wake up and we'll be in the Cayman Islands or something like that. So we really like the idea of having that one bed that we're sleeping in, but being able to experience different places. So maybe that's our, our attention deficit disorder personality that we can't just stay in one place for too long. But the cruises are really what my wife and I are enjoying right now. And it sounds like you don't have kids. We do not have kids. That would make things infinitely more uh, difficult and expensive, I think. Absolutely. I can see how a cruise is wonderful when you've got no children, but I can also see how it'd be hell on earth having children all the time. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could imagine. So when we get there, we might change our tune a little bit. And you'll be surrounded by other people screaming kids. And uh, yeah, anyway, we, we, we'll let you, you live with the fantasy on that because it will drag you down in time. And you will have little kids and those kind of lovely holidays will be a thing of the past. Well, we'll enjoy it now. Absolutely. So have you always been entrepreneurial? Because it seems to me, when I was getting this sort of background to you and you, you, you went through sort of college and stuff and you studied for your accountancy exams and all those kind of things, but talking to you now, you don't really seem like an accountant. You seem like somebody that's got hustle muscle and you want to get out there and you want to create your own path. Is this something that's come late to you or has it been dormant for a while? No, I think I've had it for a while. So the whole story of the typical lemonade stand outside the front yard, I never had. But from the age of 13 or 14 years old, which would have put us mid, uh, mid to late 90s, I have been running online businesses, to be perfectly honest. So just a very quick background. I was a huge and still am professional wrestling fan. So the WWE, WWF, you know, fake punches and kicks, all of that. I was a huge fan of that growing up and I discovered that there was a local professional wrestling scene in my area in terms of a number of different leagues and a bunch of different local professional wrestlers, you know, none of which were the same as I would see on TV, but it was fun to go to, fun to experience in person. And one of the things I noticed though, because I was one of the early, or my family I should say, was one of the early adopters of using the internet and I used to watch WWF on TV and then go home and look at WWF or you go to the computer and look at their website. But I noticed that none of these small wrestling leagues that I would go to here in, in Dallas, Texas, had these websites. So to me, that was just an instant light bulb. Well, they need websites just like the big guys do. So then I started creating websites and then for these companies and then selling them to them and maintaining them. And then other leagues started coming to me from all over the country and saying, well, can you create our website? We'll pay you. Uh, wrestlers, individuals would come to me and say, hey, we, I want my own website. Will you help me do that? So I really, at the age of you know, 13, 14, 15, I had this online website design and, and upkeep business. So I'd get off the school bus every afternoon and I'd open the mailbox and see what wrestlers and wrestling leagues I had checks from uh, in the mail. So that was very early on doing this entrepreneurial thing that just came from finding a void in the space, not, not intentionally, but just by happenstance. And then filling that void, very similar to, you know, 20 years later, or maybe not 20 years later, but a little bit later doing this podcast movement, finding that need and filling it. So that was really the beginning. And I've done all kinds of things since then that could be still considered entrepreneurial. So I think it's not anything that's been dormant. But I can absolutely see when you talk to your typical uh, CPA here in the United States or, or enrolled agent or any of these accountant types, I, I tend to, to be a little different than them, that's for sure. That's an understatement. You're totally different from them. <laughs> I have spoken to many. Um, I, I know a few tax returns people, and they're nice people, but they do not have the passion that you've got 
and you've got this passion kind of flowing from you. I can just hear it in your voice. And it must seem that you're in in a straitjacket doing your job. Or do you find an avenue during that job to actually express yourself in a way that you want to? When I first graduated college and I took a job right out of school doing my uh, tax accounting, similar to what I'm doing now on paper at least, that is exactly how I felt. I was in a straitjacket sitting behind a computer. I was a proverbial bean counter. I was literally what you imagine a tax accountant being, sitting behind the desk all day. And that was the straitjacket time of my life, absolutely. I decided to give it one more go. I didn't want to leave the industry right away that I had just spent five years in school to get the certification and this, uh, you know, the diploma and all of that. So I found a firm that almost releases us into the wild. So they act as the backbone for what we're doing and there's the support staff and there's the people there and the, and the systems in place, but they're very empowering in terms of what we can do on our own. So I now have the ability to go out and find my own clients and work with people that I enjoy working with and bringing that business back to the firm. And it, it was a huge 180 from what I was doing. So while, you know, the, the, the bottom line is I'm doing tax returns and working on tax consulting for these people. It's night and day in terms of my interaction with the clients, the clients I'm working with. So I, I completely broke free of those straight jackets. And really one of the reasons I got into accounting to begin with was because I wanted to see what the best entrepreneurs were best at. So I was in business school already, but I didn't know what portion of the business school I wanted to focus on because I did have this entrepreneurial drive. I knew that maybe I wasn't going to become an entrepreneur, quote unquote, right away out of school, but I knew at some point in the future, I wanted to pave my own way. And I, I researched and looked around and asked people, what do the best entrepreneurs have the best skills in? And a lot of the answers was, well, you have to know your money. No matter what field of work you're in, no matter what type of business you're in, somebody has to be in charge of the money. Somebody has to know what the balances, balance sheet looks like, what that means, read the income statement, really have a good understanding for what's going on in your company. So to me, my, my immediate reaction was, well, I need to be that person then. Because if I want to be an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, and do my own thing, if that's the most important part of a company, then that's what I want to be an expert in. So that was my first, that was the first and, and main reason why I got into accounting. Now I get to have those skills and I get to work with other entrepreneurs, other small business owners, and pass that knowledge on to them. These are people that didn't have that foresight to maybe get a background in accounting. Now they desperately need somebody to be on their team that does have that knowledge. And now I'm able to fill that void for multiple entrepreneurs, not just for myself. You seem like a hole filler. You seem like somebody that looks around and sees a hole that no one has filled and then you, you work at filling that. You've done that with the podcast movement. You've done that with that. You did that with the wrestling. It, it seems to be a theme that's running through this conversation. Yeah, it does. I've never thought of it that way, but that's absolutely what, I, what I've been doing. So I always, I always describe myself as a team member in terms of the accounting thing, but a hole filler, yeah, you know, you could, you could, you could call it that. So is that, is that a key point for people who are listening into this conversation and they are in similar jobs where they feel straight jacketed and they are looking around? Is that a good thing for them to do, to just look at something that's already out there and try to find the hole in the market? No, no doubt about it. And I think so many people that are trying to break free, trying to do something on their own, they try to force whatever that on their own thing will be. They try to desperately seek out reading books or listening to podcasts or they're trying to look for that void when I think in reality sometimes you find those voids a whole lot easier when you're not looking for them when you're just aware of what's going on around you so I mean I think that's what I have done in all of my successes have been these things that almost you know I, I saw the light I wasn't looking for the light but I saw it because I was I was accepting of it if it showed up. So I definitely think that's a good uh, opportunity for success. You just have to be in the mindset to be able to see those voids. Because I've, I've become a great advocate for bringing your own spin into an established market. And when I started doing this show, I had this idea. And it wasn't a new idea, seven days a week. It's already out there. And I've, I just basically took the bits that I liked from other shows. And so I liked the fact that it was seven days a week. I liked the shows that were conversational. I liked the shows that I didn't really know where it was going to start, where it was going to end. But there was, there was some kind of vibe about it that infused me. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel, do you, to become successful? You just have to do something, be consistent, 
deliver the content or the product or whatever you're actually building and do it in your own way. And if you duplicate, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. And we see that so many times in podcasting where somebody has a lot of success and then you suddenly get loads of people doing the same shows. And I listen to them and I think, what are you doing? Just do it yourself. You're going to be much better being yourself and being that person. So just just throw off the shackles and be yourself. And if people don't like it, hell to them. And the people that do like it, that is your audience and, and work towards that audience. Yeah, I could not agree more. Some of my favorite podcasts are the ones that probably don't get the most downloads. They're the super niched ones. And, and I'm a big fan, not as a listener, but just of the whole idea of, like you said, be yourself, do what you're passionate about. There's a podcast about dentistry. And it's a guy who does a podcast focused for dentists. That's now, filling holes again. You see, you're filling that holes. Is, that is filling holes. And that's somebody who he wanted to get into podcasting. Maybe he could have followed some of these already proven tracks and these these guys that are getting big downloads and copied and pasted what they were doing for himself. But he didn't. He stuck to who he was. He did something that he was not only interested in, but very well versed in. He was himself. And now he's got this podcast that while it maybe doesn't get the huge download numbers that some of these other shows do, he wanted to monetize that podcast. And he was able to because he had a very niche down product. So I think if, if anyone had read any of these you know, how to podcast or how to make money in podcasting no one would ever have said do what he's doing but he stuck to his guns and stuck to who he was and now he's one of the more successful ones i know so it's really really important to me that whatever it is you do you be yourself and there's probably a void that yourself will fill I, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and I'm, I'm banging them out big time at the moment. So I remember the conversations, but I can't quite remember who I was talking to. And they were saying that you can basically be successful with a thousand loyal customers. You don't need to have, you know, world domination. You can just do it by providing what those thousand people are looking for on a daily basis. Would you agree with that? And we're talking about podcasting or we're talking about anywhere? Any, anything. Well, I think it's less than that. I mean, I mean, I, if I, I don't have a thousand accounting clients, but I, I do just fine with the smaller number. So, I mean, I think it's obviously dependent on what you're doing. But yes, if, if the point is you don't have to have a lot as long as they're people that are buying into whatever you're doing and really passionate and, and you know, you, you've sold them on what you're doing, then yeah, I think the numbers don't have to be high at all, regardless of what it is. You seem a man that knows his path and you have been following a path, and now it's slightly changing direction. If I took you to push and shove, would you want to be podcast movement creator, that kind of Dan Franks, or would you want to be the accountant working with the clients, that kind of Dan Franks? You know, full disclosure, I don't know. Right now, I enjoy both what I'm doing. When I'm in the, in the thick of things on either side, I say to myself, wow, this is awesome. I could see myself growing this over here, but then I'll get back on the other side and I'll be like, wow, this is really great. I love what I'm doing here. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure ultimately if both things continue to grow and, and improve and also take up more of my time, at some point that decision will have to be made. But right now I'm not to that point yet. So I, I'm just kind of feeling it out. Because it's brilliant to have two strings to your bow, isn't it? Well, it's lovely. <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, it, 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 you can kind of do things without fear, right? And that's, I love that. So if I if I'm doing something and I I've got another I don't want to call it a fallback plan but two things going on at the same time and the pulling the strings to the boat you're not scared to maybe pull a little harder on one of the strings because if it snaps you know you still have something moving that boat along. Because I've only got this. When I quit my nine to five job, I went into web development and very quickly I decided that I couldn't bear web development and I came across podcasting. And since I've been doing this, I know it's my, my route and I have to make it work. End of story. And for me, only having one route, you know, the old acronym FOCUS, follow one course until success, I think is absolutely true for me because for years I was always the shiny silver object person and I would, ah, oh, that'd be good, I'd do that. And then just as it was about to tip over to success, I'd jump onto something else. And now just because I know I've got to make this work and I'm doing everything I possibly can, I, I'm, I'm achieving it and it's going great guns. But to have you on two sides of the fence having success and success, it must be, and you know, you've already said it's an enviable position position to be but it must be a really sort of lovely position to be when so many people out there can't even think of one thing that they want to do that fills them with passion 
Yeah, and a buddy of mine, Joe Cassandra, and I, we always have this conversation because we hear these success stories of people that they attribute most of their success to they had no other choice. So whether it was they were laid off or they were fired or they just quit their job because they couldn't handle it and they put themselves on this new course much like you're on now and they had no choice but to succeed, that drive, that motivation could drive you so much further than someone in my position that you don't have to serve you don't have to strive in either one. Now I feel like I'm striving in both based on my internal motivation, but who knows if if I lost one, how much harder I'd push on the other. So it, it's it, to me there it's a you know kind of a toss up which which route is better and I don't think there's a right or a wrong way obviously, but he and I do have that constant debate which way would lead to better success and you know I don't know what the right answer is, but I think um you know so far you and I I think we're doing all right where we're at. But, but you obviously have got faith, you've got a belief in yourself, and you seem to be somebody that, to be honest, you seem quite fearless in many ways. Just the fact that you were talking about setting this podcast movement up, I don't think I would have done that. I don't think I would have pushed myself on to be able to do that. Are you somebody that is pretty fearless, or are you somebody that calculates the risks and then takes action? I don't feel, you know, if I'm living in a bubble, I don't feel fearless. But when I step out and look around at others around me that, you know, same age or maybe same profession on the accounting side, when I compare myself to others, which I don't like to do, you know, it's not a competition that I find myself in. But when I do look around in comparison, I think maybe I, I would be more fearless than them. Uh, in terms of stepping outside of the comfort zone. So uh, that's that's the best way to describe it, that internally I don't feel fearless, but in comparison I think maybe I am a little bit. I think you are. I was talking to a lady last night who has just bought her own movie studio. She's a big mover and shaker in Los Angeles. And she says that she basically lives on that fear every single day. She lives right on the edge because it's the only way that she knows that constantly she is stepping out of her comfort zone and improving and moving forward. And if she's not just on that edge, she knows it's a bad decision. So she, that's where she plays. Yeah, I, I, I could totally relate to that. <laughs> I, 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 she's, I, I agree completely with what she's doing. That's awesome. Well, let's see if you agree with somebody else as well. This is the, um, the late Steve Jobs, and he made a marvellous speech back in 2005, which we play generally every episode, and it is the theme of the show. So I want to play these words, and I just want to see if they're relevant to you, Mr. Frank. So this is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. Now, we spoke before the show and I said, you know, are you clued up on this? And you said, oh, yes, I am. And I, I watched it on the mission statement, which is on, on the website. Now you've listened to it again and obviously just sitting there listening to those words. How does it make you feel? I can totally relate. And I, I feel like, yeah, I, that, that was how I was living when I was in college and when I was sitting there not sure where things were going to lead. And I'll be honest, my college, I didn't have a part-time job while I was in school other than I was professional wrestling three to four nights a week when I was in school. So that, that passion of, that I had when I was a child in terms of being a fan of a professional wrestler, I got into that in college. And my dream at that time in college was I was going to be a big-time professional wrestler. So I was going to school for the accounting, but after, soon after I started that, I got pulled into this world of professional wrestling. And that's, that's where things were going to lead me. That's, I, I, I just knew that's what I was going to do. And through weird happenstance, some of those things are what led me to where I'm at today in terms of my, the accounting firm I'm with and the clients I have and some of the things I'm doing. So I, I, it's really interesting to hear that specific piece isolated like that because it's true. You don't know what you're doing. You, you might not know what's going to happen with what you're doing, but you know, if, if what you're doing at that time seems right, then trust that it is the right thing. I, you know, that's awesome. That's why he's Steve Jobs and I'm not. 
You one day will be. I'm sure you will. <laughs> because I, I totally believe in that. I, I look at literally everything that I've done in my life now and it has led to this point. And I couldn't see it at the time. But now I look back on it and I think, oh, yes, I can see why I'm able to do this. I can see why this is happening. And it's all the kind of wasted experiences that were never wasted. They're the things that you look back on and you think, yeah, that, that's just built on this and that's an extra string to my bow and that has developed that strength or whatever. And it has led me to this point. And I think it really is the message that goes out across the world that if you take action and you have faith and you you know, believe in yourself, even if it doesn't kind of work first to go, just kind of change direction. And if you hit a closed door, walk along until you find an open door and then go through there because the path you set out more often than not isn't the one that you originally perceive um but it's a pretty good ride to have yeah yeah it's uh and i I guess that's that uh that's how when you know everyone who's listening now we are in the in the now we are currently doing whatever we're doing and we kind of have to look back and and almost like you said all those things that happened in the past they've gotten me to where i am today those were the right things so you have to then almost move that knowledge forward and know what you're doing now are the right things going forward for the future and that thinking one day you'll look back at the now and, and think you did things right so it's uh you know it's 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 this back to the future cyclical stuff but i think it's um man it's, it's an awesome message i'm still somewhat reflecting on what steve jobs said i, I reflect on it every single day I listen to that speech probably about six or seven times a day as I'm doing these shows and uh, sometimes I really listen to them and sometimes I'm doing other things while it's playing and then sometimes it's like I've never heard them before and I just hear something that kind of comes out to me and, and speaks to me um, and I, I, I want to play you something else as well and I've been throwing this in as well and this is another little motivation, uh, motivational speech very short but this is this is from somebody who's still with us this is Jim Carrey and he said this recently but listen to this and how powerful is this this is Jim Carrey my father could have been a great comedian but he didn't believe that that was possible for him and so he made a conservative choice instead he got a safe job as an accountant and when I was 12 years old he was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. You put those two speeches together, that is dynamite, isn't it? Yeah, that is, and, and that goes back to that fearlessness, and I've, I've heard that clip before, and that's awesome, the... the just that last little bit, if you're going to fail at what you don't love, why don't you fail? try at least take the chance of possibly failing at what you do love? That's, that's awesome. I, I don't, I, there's no other way to, way to describe that. And I, I feel like that's what, you know, that's what maybe you're doing right now. And that's, that's what I'm doing right now as well. I, I just think that I wasted, well, I say wasted, no experience is wasted. You know, I, I built up skills, but I certainly coasted, that's a better word, for year upon year upon year. A, because I couldn't really see my path because I didn't really know where things was leading, but because I don't think I ever took that, that real, that faith, that leap to jump into something and sink or swim. And I think when people are getting to that point in their life, and I know the listeners are getting to that point in their life because I'm getting emails from them, and they're saying to me, that through the conversations that you're having, I'm inspired to try and find my own path. I'm not really sure what it is, but I'm, you know, I'm hoping that the conversations will um, get something going into my brain. Ultimately, it's almost a case of you're never going to get that answer. You've just got to leap. Yeah, but it's interesting because, you know, you, you're, you at first said wasted and then you corrected yourself. But at the same time, the Steve Jobs quote, it's, you know, there, there was no waste. You wouldn't end, have ended up here had that coasting time period not have ever happened. I think I would have been here earlier. That's, that's, that's the, I don't have regrets, but I think actually I was primed for this maybe five years ago. And I look back on it and I think, wow. Where would I be now? Because that would have really been ahead of the curve. Now, the real movers and shakers, the people on the podcast movement and, and the people on the panel and all those kind of things were the people that took that step in this direction a few years back. You know, if you look at the sort of the, the big names like John Lee Dumas or something, what's he start? 2012. Now we're 2014 and he's the name to sort of beat, isn't he? He's, he's the bloke up there. And I just think that I was ready. I was ready to do this three or four years ago. 
but I just wasn't aware or I didn't know it was available. And I kind of look at it and think, wow, what a different life. You can't change it. You know, it's just as it is. But I do think that there was a period of my life that I was coasting and I should have I should have done something more because now I'm doing it. It's it's hard. It's exhausting really but it's the best ride of my life and I feel invigorated and inspired every single day that for many years I didn't yeah and you can't you can't change the past but at the same time I really do feel like you can learn a lesson from doing the right things but oftentimes the lessons you learn from doing the wrong things are much much better so maybe this undying passion you have now for what you're doing had you coasted for you know, one year instead of five, maybe that passion wouldn't have been as strong. And, you know, only only you would know that and only going back in time would you ever really prove that. But I do think I, I'm I'm so forward facing that I, I totally believe learning from the past, but not dwelling on the past. And I know that's not what you're doing, David, but but just just kind of, uh, you know, speaking a little bit independently of all that, I really do think that some of the best lessons are from doing the wrong things. I agree with that every episode. It comes up as the big dot. And for most of the people that I've been speaking to, the big dot is normally the dark period of their life. It's the part where they look back on it and go, oh, that was dreadful, but I would not be here now without that. And it was, you know, it was the moment that their life changed. Have you had that? Have you had the big dot that you can look back on and you go and go, yes, I am the Dan Franks I am now because of that? The the closest thing I could attribute that to that would be that two years that we in that proverbial straitjacket at my first job out of college when I was that straitjacketed tied to the desk CPA working, you know, a hundred hours a week and just not talking to anyone but the computer and you know that that damages personal relationships it damages your your mental health I think and it damages your your will to kind of push forward and, and improve yourself when you're just stuck in this I guess that dark hole that giant dot um, but I, but you know, it that's as dark as it got for me. I would never say that it was as bad as many of the stories or what many people have experienced. But again, that totally, totally, 100% led me to doing everything I'm doing now. So definitely would not go back and change that experience. But that's a powerful statement to make because that is the kind of darkness that so many people are under you know it's not too bad it's not too good i have conversations where people will actually say to me i was in a car ready to commit suicide and something stopped me and i've said to them you know was that the worst thing and they go actually it was the worst day of my life but the best day of my life as well and they're quite open with that that was the moment everything progressed through but what you're saying is the thing that kills so many dreams and that is when things are not that bad that we almost accept them on a daily basis because hey it's a job it's paying the bills i can put up with this until the weekend but for all the listeners out there you can have more than that and i'm not just saying these words i totally believe that and if you listen back to all the shows and we're up to nearly 100 now every single person will say the same you can create your own reality you can take action and you can have a life that you want but ultimately it's down to you and if you are in that dark comfort zone where you're just going there and you're in a job and you're not talking to anyone you can slip off that straitjacket and you can start feeling stuff again yeah, and I think anyone listening to this is doing the right thing. That's the right first step is to surround yourself with people that are either doing something that you want or you feel like sometimes their message resonates with you because oftentimes you'll be in that physical environment where you don't have that those people around you. And that's how I found myself. People around me were complacent. They were not hating where they were at, but they weren't loving it either. And that's oftentimes worse than being around a bunch of people who hate what they're doing because you're more easily pushed to get out of it. So I think people listening to this and you know maybe this episode with me doesn't resonate with you or doesn't trigger that that's doesn't flip that switch and maybe david isn't doesn't do it but at some point if you keep listening there's going to be somebody that says something and that light's going to go off in your head and you said that's me now is the time so i really think that's the best thing to do is just find a way to surround yourself with people and podcasts are a great way to do it podcasts and books are a wonderful way to do it if you don't have those people in your physical life It is key, isn't it? It's surround yourself with the people that are either doing something that you want to do or just inspire you because then you see possibilities that you just don't get normally. I, I was a kind of podcast guy. I started listening to them, not a lot, but 
I just kind of started listening to them and then I became too aware. And there's a chap um, called Michael O'Neill on the Solopreneur Hour and he has this phrase that I think is perfect. And he says, when you're ready to leap, it's the time that you know too much. And I think that's about it. You can actually see that there's other opportunities that beforehand you can't. But until you get to that point, you're not ready. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to the whole... You know, if you're looking for the voids and you're you're just you're you're, you're actively looking and, and avoiding everything, but looking for what that void in the space is that you're going to fill, that's not when you find it. It's when it shows itself to you. So that that goes right back to that. Just before we put you on the sermon and the mic, is it's coming to the end of the show now, and this is when we send you back in time to have a one-on-one with yourself. If you could go forward, maybe a couple of years, where do you think Dan Franks will be? What's what's your dreams for the next couple of years? <laughs> the, that is that is the hardest question for me to answer. It's very easy to answer questions about the past, and it's very hard for me to answer questions about the future. So I I don't know, David. I don't I don't know what the future holds for me. I uh, I've got nothing for you, and that's that's tough. That's one of the things I struggle with. Do you find that exciting that you don't know? Yeah, yeah, I do find it exciting. It's um scary but exciting and not scary to the point of like i worry about it but when you know when when you someone like you calls it to my attention a little bit of a little bit of fear comes up but at the same time it's not something that's going to change what i'm doing uh I, sometimes i feel like the uh the the farmer the someone in the field tossing all the seeds and i know some of those seeds aren't going to grow but i know some of them will grow and once i see those seeds growing if i continue to focus on those ones then you know then good things will happen that's all you can do isn't it that that's generally life yeah absolutely well let's play the music then and as we play the music you're going to go back in time and you're going to meet your younger self and if you could go back into a room and see the young dan franks which kind of dan franks would it be would it be the lemonade stand dan would it be the young wrestler or would it be the person who's just having this idea about creating the podcast movement so i'm going to play the music and when it fades out you're up and this is the sermon on the mic With the best bit of the show The sermon on the mic The sermon on the mic Hey there, little Danny. What's going on? I see you're uh, you're making some websites there. Those they don't look too good. You'll 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 understand that in a few years when you see what a, a real website looks like. But but what you're doing, it's 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 great right now. I high five for for doing things like that. No one else around you is doing that, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, but, you know, you should go out and pick up the baseball a little more. Don't uh, don't focus so much on on sitting behind the computer. You'll have plenty of time for that when you get older. Your, your metabolism, it's fast now, but you'll, uh, you'll thank me later if you just get in that habit of being outside and doing a little more exercise. But, but l- let me tell you, just follow your path. Don't don't try to look too much in the future. Just just live for the present and whatever what it is you're doing now, what you're enjoying, continue to do it because you don't know it right now, but it will lead to something. And and there there's a wise man that will one time one day in the future have this great speech that will allow you to look back and connect these dots. And you don't know it yet, but these dots will all lead to something great. So so while I tell you to go out and play a little more a little more stick and ball, do what you're doing. Stay the course, and you're gonna you're gonna have a wonderful life in future. I think we can see that already, Dan. I've just got one question before we say goodbye to you. You have got a podcasting voice, and I know that your podcast is now on hiatus. It has been for a while. Is it going to come back? It might. So Joe Cassandra, the buddy of mine I mentioned, he is was my co-host on Entrepreneur Showdown, and we we got a little frustrated for a number of things and we felt like the space we were in and and I I love what you're doing where you're not just interviewing entrepreneurs you're interviewing real people that have done real things and not just the same batch of people awesome what we were doing we were interviewing the same people that everyone else was and while we took a different approach to it we were not differentiating ourselves enough so we decided to put it on hiatus and go back to the drawing board in the meantime I love podcasting so much I have started uh, with with another buddy of mine, just a fun podcast, something to 
continue to talk into the microphone and entertain the people that are listening. So uh, I don't know about the Entrepreneur Showdown coming back. We'll see. Uh, I hope in some iteration it will. But you know, right now it's uh, it's it's on hiatus, man. I, I don't I don't know what else to say. Joe and I are still great friends, and we are constantly brainstorming and coming up with new ideas. But right now, the podcast uh, Entrepreneur Showdown is not one of them. Wouldn't it be great? 2015, the keynote speakers David Ralph and Dan Franks. So that that I can't make myself the keynote speaker. You can. Right, you own this. You own this. You can push yourself up. It's your game. It's your ball. If you take the ball away, it's not going to happen. Put yourself up there. All right. All right, well, we'll we'll see. I'll start with emceeing this year, and then we'll see where that leads next year. I, I'm I'm rooting for you, Dan. Dan, how many um you know all the listeners out there that's been listening to this conversation are inspired by what you're trying to do? How can they connect with you? If you go to danfranks.me, so D-A-N-F-R-A-N-K-S.me, it has a little page there. It's not the best web page, but it has. All the things I'm working on right now, it does talk about Entrepreneur Showdown podcast, so it links to all the different things that either are past or present projects I've had, and then it has all different ways to get in touch with me. So, I, uh, I, I, I as for now, I reply to every email and I, I talk to everyone on Twitter. So I, I'd love to talk to anyone who's maybe finds themselves in any of the positions we talked about in and would like to grow, or you know, wants to talk about podcast movement or anything else I'm working on. I'd love to chat with anybody, Dave. Very generous offer. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots of your life. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up or just to tell us how the podcast movement went. Because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our past is the best way to build our futures. Dan Franks, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I want to see you here in 2015. We'll make it happen, man. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were one. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com, the only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.